you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 7. And, um, and as you're turning there, hey guys, I need to, uh, to kind of give you a uh, uh, kind of an announcement and, um, and, and let you know kind of some things that are coming up and, and let you know some hows and whys and some, uh, some real important things. You know, we're calling this series we're doing in the fall, The Quest for Hope. And uh, that just came up, that title came up because we were looking, it's, it's gonna be a financial series. But as I've told you before, and I've gotta keep telling you this, is that um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a give to the church series. It's a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a biblical look, all right, at handling finances, especially personal finances. And, um, and so, and the reason for it is because I believe it to be one of the greatest needs that we have. And you know, a lot of times we shy, not you, but we like uh, pastors and teachers shy away from the subject because you don't want to get labeled. But we need to understand this picture because the scripture teaches us. Jesus himself said is that you can't, you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve you can't serve money and you can't serve God at the same time. The two aren't compatible. Now, why would he use money? Why wouldn't he use other things? Because it seems that that causes the greatest amount of stress in a person's life. And, uh, and let me just tell you this, these, these things are staggering to me. 76, because some of you will say, well, sure, I can understand that. But 76% of uh, Americans um, you know, are living paycheck to paycheck, right? That is, that is, there's a financial strap to, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that means that if anything, any hiccup happens, you know, a car breaks down and it's $800 or whatever, is that you're, you're in stress, right? You're in stress. And it causes us to live in bondage, slavery to, our, to, to finances. That's what Jesus is talking about. So we're gonna do this series. The series that I'm going to do, speaking, is only gonna be a handful of weeks, maybe three, maybe four at the most. The rest of it's going to be a financial piece, these classes we're gonna do. And it's gonna give you a fantastic opportunity to learn. We've showed you videos, we'll be sharing with you more videos, and we're a good ways away from it. We're still about seven or eight weeks away from starting this, but we wanted to tell you about it now because uh, the financial piece is not just it's not just for churches, and, but a lot of corporations, schools are starting to use it. Uh, our, some of our, those in our local high schools are using this financial piece to teach people to, to handle those things. Guys, I remember one time, not here, but where I was at before, um, is that I was counseling a couple, uh, and uh, they had a couple of kids, and they both worked, and between them, they made a lot. They made right at about $500,000 a year. Now, I want you to hear me, and yet they were in more financial problems and living paycheck to paycheck. Guys, it doesn't matter how much you make, right? It doesn't, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, you do need to make more than 10 bucks a week or something like that, but you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it's, all about it's, all about, it's all about some different things that we're gonna be talking to you about, and this class is really, really that good. So what we're gonna ask you to do, okay? Uh, it, it, you're gonna receive these. I don't know if you received these as you walked in or if you're gonna receive them as you walk out. But we have, we're gonna put everything in, on pause for a handful of weeks in the fall. 
and we're going to take everybody through this, right? If you say, well, Jeff, I've already kind of got all that in control over there, then you're, aren't you happy that everybody else is going to be able to go through it, right? Again, it's not all about us sometimes. Sometimes it's about others, right? Imagine that. And so remember, okay, I need you. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to jump on board. I can't tell you how important this could be for people, all right? And how important, because if you start to have freedom in this area, you'll be amazed at how free it'll feel. Do you know that the number one problem, marital problem by far, are conflicts over finances, stress over finances, right? So again, we're just gonna be talking, this is not, a, again, I've told you before, this is not a give to the church time. This is, this is not what that is, okay? This is helping us understand these, some of these concepts and getting these things under control. I think you're gonna like it. Now, here's the, here's the key. We're going, to, we're going to put everything else on pause. Everything else we're gonna do church-wise. Our connection groups are gonna do these, and we're gonna offer these classes every, most every morning of the week, but definitely every night of the week so that everybody can be a part of it if no matter what your work schedule is, there's always a time to be a part. I promise you it'll be important. The other thing I need you to hear is, is that, is that the, the cost for the kits, I mean, there's, you gotta remember there's little workbooks and there's other little things that help you get some things together. Uh, they're about $129, not including shipping, but we're gonna have them at Karis Bookstore. We're gonna subsidize them to about $75 per family. If you can't afford that, then we will, obviously we'll help you out there. But we're gonna ask everybody to buy one, right? But here's the promise I'll make to you. If you finish, we'll reimburse you. You understand why I'm doing that, right? Because if people pay for it, then they'll be there. If they don't, they stop showing up, all right? So I'm gonna ask you to do that. I'm gonna ask you to jump, jump ahead and just be a part of it. You got seven weeks, you need to save $10 a week. All right, so you can get this kit and it's one per family. Even, I mean, our students are going to do this, right? Right, Dan? Students are gonna go through this. I'm telling you, if you ever get this area of your life under control, it, it, it has huge, huge freedoms that it, that it helps you out down the road. All right, good. I think you understand that. So you can pick up these, here's all the times. As that time, the reason I'm telling you so far in advance, I want you to be prepared for when it gets here. And uh, we'll be talking a lot more about it as we go. All right, I think you got it. All right, good deal. I, there's, there's so many, because, I mean, I had some questions. Somebody says, so Jeff, we have to go every night of the week? No, 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 no. You pick one. Does that make sense? You don't go every night of the week. We're just offering them every night of the week, right? right? And then somebody says, well, you know, we have to buy it for $75. Okay, we'll reimburse you if you finish. If you're not planning on finishing, then yeah, don't get one. Everybody, everybody got me. Everybody understand. Okay, I think we're good. All right, open up to Romans now. I think you already have, and we will, uh, but we'll be telling you more about that one. I can't tell you how excited I am because if you get freedom in that area, you start to really, 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 uh, it, it relieves all kinds of stresses around you. All right, good deal, good deal. All right, let's go ahead and take a look now at uh, Romans chapter seven. Now we've been in this series on Romans and, uh, and it's, been, it's been such a great thing personally. I have enjoyed preparing to share with you um, as, as much as anything. I know I've shared with you that most every week, but it just, 
I just love this picture because Romans is such a powerful book and it teaches really one thing, especially the first 10 chapters. It teaches, it teaches you of, of God's of, of salvation and what it really is and the impact it has on your life, right? And so um, just to give you a little bit of recap, the first couple of chapters of Romans, first chapter is, is about sin, right? And, uh, and then the second chapter is about those who are religious, you know, that they still need who Christ is. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not, it's, it's a grace thing. It's not about following rituals or being a part of this church or that church or this denomination or that denomination. I mean, that's what the second chapter is. And so you put those together. Chapter three sums it all up is that we're all sinners. You live in a culture to where, where our, our culture is trying to tell you there's no such thing as sin, you know, except for the really bad people, like the ax murderers, you know, everybody else is good. Obviously it's not what the scriptures teach. Scripture says that we're all sinners and those who are honest with themselves, they see it, they understand it. Sure. If you really, I mean, if, you, if you're honest with the world around you, right? So that's what chapter three, for all, the script, chapter three, there's a lot to chapter three, but chapter three just says, but for all have sinned, false short of the glory of God, right? Chapter four, Okay, is, is it gives us an illustration of Abraham. And because Abraham was such a big deal, especially at the time in which Paul was writing this, and, uh, and so it kind of gives Abraham as an example. And there's a, word, there's a word that's used often in the book of Romans called justified, right? The word justified means that which is not right is made right. Okay, justified, just is right. Justify is the process of making it right, all right? So, the scriptures talk about being justified freely by his grace. So what does that mean? Okay, a lot of words there. What does that mean? It means that which is wrong is made right by grace. That is, it's a free gift. Therefore, the picture of Abraham is, is that Abraham was right with God, not because he was sinless and not because he lived a moral life, but because it says that he believed God and God counted it to him as righteous. In other words, it was a grace thing. So it gives you an illustration of that in chapter four, right? And then chapter five, it kind of talks about Adam and, and sin and some other things. Chapter six was last week. And uh, we'll do chapter seven today. Now remember that in this, in this series on Romans, I'm giving you a big picture. If I was to really go through this verse by verse and look through everything, it would take over a year. So I'm just giving, I want you to get, cause there is a great beauty in the big picture, right? As opposed to the microscope picture. So. So what I'm doing here on the weekends is just a bigger picture, getting you to understand and getting you to see. And the, the cool part about it is we just walk verse by verse and, and you get to read along with me and you get to read it for yourself, you know? And, uh, and yes, there's times for interpretation, but most of these things in Romans are pretty straightforward, right? You know, and it, they are, they say what they say, right? You'll see that in just a minute. Now, last week we talked about, we talked about this picture uh, we talked about, we actually talked about baptism, but not water baptism. In chapter, in, in, in chapter six, and you're not going to see this on the screen, but in chapter six, verse five, it says, for we have been united. Okay. Think about this. We have been united with him in a death like his. Okay. United with Christ in a death like his. Now the word united what does the word united mean? Uni, which means one, right? Unicycle is one, one wheel, right? So unify means to take, take two and make them one, or take more and make them one. 
The process of, of unification or unifying is to make one. So it says there, what we talked about last week is that we've been unified in his death. Therefore, we've been made one with him. So the greatest, if you are a believer here today, all right, the greatest description that you and I can say of ourselves is not that we're, not so much that believers is fine. A Christian, okay, that was found in Acts. But in reality, in Christ is probably, so if Christian means in Christ, then that's the greatest description you and I have, being in him. So it talks about baptism, but not water baptism. Water baptism is just a symbol. The word baptize is a Greek word that means to immerse or to envelop. Because when you are in the water, you are enveloped with it. So it's a picture of being in Christ, right? So you're unified, you're in him. So therefore, when, when he died, you died. That's why it says there that in you know, baptism, not water, well, we talked about that last week, but we're buried with Christ, right? Baptism, death, raised to walk in newness of life. Therefore, we're in him. This was all kind of last week and just kind of recap from last week because it's gonna pick back up again today and it's going to really put a nice bow on all of it. It's pretty, pretty cool when you take a look at it, if you have ears to hear it, right? So you have then this, this being in him is as close to the picture. All right, Romans chapter six, verse 11, it says this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So consider yourselves dead to sin because, why? Because you died. Well, I haven't died yet. Like, you were unified in his death. We just read that in chapter six, verse five. Therefore, he died on your behalf. But since you're in him, you died, that's what it means here. You can just consider yourselves dead to sin, but now alive to God, listen to this, in Christ, right? In him, that's what makes it happen. So it becomes this cool picture of what he's trying to get you to understand. So much of chapter six, and especially chapter seven, is explaining to you, as of, if you are a believer here today, explaining to you what has happened and what it really means. What does it mean to consider yourselves dead to sin? How do you do that? What does that even mean? It, again, it explains it in chapter seven. There was not enough time last week to even totally explain it. So the summation of chapter six is found in verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, right? So those who are in sin, live in sin, then death is the result, right? But those who are in Christ, right? It's the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ, right? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So you have these two pictures and these two, and these two destinations. So you have this, the last thing I talked to you about last week was the, how do you determine the value of anything you have in your life? All right, the way you determine value, number one, is that how much does it cost? And number two, how long is it gonna last? That's how you determine value. How much does it cost? Obviously, it costs Christ's life. Number one, how long is it going to last? Well, you see the end of verse 23. So it gives you the summation of chapter six there in the end. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is, is found in chapter seven. And you need to remember that thought of, of being united, right, in his death. And understand 
what it means to be in Christ and united in Christ's death. Therefore, we're one with him, united. And you'll see then this picture emerge because the first part of chapter seven is an illustration of how that, uh, 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 so you can understand that concept. And we'll get to it in just a minute, all right? Uh, the title for today is The Battle Within. The Battle Within. And, and the scriptures give us something pretty incredible uh, as Paul gets pretty gut level honest here and talks about himself. But he describes it first and he gives us an illustration, right? All right? So this, in this illustration, uh, it's, it's a marital illustration. Now, this is, the, this is God's, uh, again, when we talk about this illustration, it's the illustration of what happens of God's look at marriage or the scriptural look at marriage. And he's given you an illustration. The teaching here is not so much on marriage as, and we'll talk about that at another time, but the teaching here is on, on who we are in Christ. And that's something that you and I need to learn. If you are a believer today, you need to learn who you are. Not knowing who you are will cause you to live differently, act differently, make decisions differently. But when you determine who you are in him, it makes a big difference on not only how you see yourself, but, but, but how you live your life. So again, that's why he's talking about it. So, so let's go into this and you'll see this picture of marriage. Chapter seven and verse one, it says, or do you not know brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. What's we'll the law here? We're not talking about the, like the United States law. We're talking about God's law. We're talking about God's commands, right? So, so he says, for I'm speaking to those of you who know God's commands. Now, you're gonna find out that those, you know, we, we have a big movement in our culture to try to abolish, you know, sin, right? You know, oh, well, that's not really wrong. Oh, that's not really wrong. We think that if we can just say that enough things that aren't wrong anymore, that it's, it's going to relieve us of it. But it, it's, all, it's all there. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. The question is, is it the truth or not? And so you'll see it, you'll see it come, to, come a little bit more here, all right? He says that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives, right? So so you have then this picture, that's why in our culture, right? This plays true in our culture, right? If, if a man has broken the law, let's say he's committed murder, right? And then, and then he is, as they go to apprehend him, uh, he fights back and, and they shoot him and kill him, all right? They don't have a trial for a dead person. Does that make sense? You just, I mean, it's over, right? Doesn't matter. So what he's saying here is, is that the law is binding only on a person as long as he lives. So it gives you an illustration of marriage, all right? Now, it uses a married woman here, but there are other parts of the scriptures that uses it the exact opposite, a married man. Either one, it goes the same, all right? Because the scriptures give us, the scriptures give us one of the greatest one of God's commands or if you will, greatest one of his teachings is, is much older than even the 10 commandments. And it has to do in Genesis at, with marriage. God says that a man, but also a woman, but a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one. Now, if, if you've got ears to hear, don't miss this. Remember the verse we just read, united in, Christ, in Christ's death, 
What does the word unite mean? It means become one. One of the greatest pictures of the biblical model of marriage is to unite, the two becoming one, right? Spiritually, emotionally, and physically, obviously, that gets a lot of press, but, the, but understanding what that means, the two becoming one, right? And so he uses marriage because it's such a great picture in understanding who we are in him. So, so it's here, it's the married woman is bound by law, God's law, to her husband while he lives, and it's vice versa, okay? A married husband's bound to his wife, it just uses the other direction, right? To her husband while he lives, all right? But if her husband dies, she is released from the law, okay, of marriage. Accordingly, she's going to be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive, okay? Now, these are God's picture because the way God sees it, and again, our culture has rewritten all of this, okay? This is, this is not the truth in our culture anymore, let's just be honest. But it's God's truth, right? It's what the scriptures teach about marriage. The two becoming one, right? So though before the way God looks at it, those that are joined together, they can't be pulled apart unless there's death, okay? So that's God's law, God's commands. Now, we're not talking about marriage today, but don't miss why he's even telling us this illustration, okay? But if the husband dies, okay, she's free from the law, right? And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress, and therefore she's free to marry another man. Therefore, she's been set free from the law because there was a death, because death sets you free from the law. Now you see why he's using the illustration. So if we've been united in Christ, therefore we died with him. That's why you'd have, that's why you have water baptism because it's a symbol of what Christ did for you. We are buried with Christ in baptism unto death, immersion, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. Therefore he died, we died with him in that, in that understanding. So therefore, death sets us free from the law because we, he died in our place is probably the best picture of that, all right? So it goes on to say, so if her husband dies, she's free to marry, right? Uh, uh, she is free from the law. She's free to marry. Now, look at verse four. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through Christ, because of who he was and what he came to do, so that you also may belong to another. Oh, I hope you're listening, okay? I hope you're hearing this. If you're a believer here today, what that's saying to you is, is that when you died with him, you died to the law, right? And therefore now you're free to be united to another, which is Christ, right? That is why sometimes, in the, in, especially in the book of Revelation, is that those who are believers, those are who are in Christ, that is the church, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're sometimes called the bride of Christ because of this analogy, right? 
in some of the illustrations and parables that Jesus told about bridegrooms and brides and different things, they're all just symbolisms of this particular picture of being united in Christ in his death. So we'll also be united in him in his resurrection and we'll be his, we are his. So therefore we're free to belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead, right? In order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, what does that mean, bear fruit for God? I used this illustration when I was in North Africa, and, and, it, and it's, I've used it in here, but it's been a long time. But I want to share with you this whole thought, because what does it mean? What is the difference? What is the difference that comes in a person's life when they truly are believers? I'm not talking about being religious. Chapter 2 says religion is not the answer. I will, not, I will, never, I will never take the title of being religious. Because people always look at me, I mean, they say, well, what, you know, it's always on a plane usually, but you know, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. And they always say something, well, you know, I'm not very religious. And I always say, well, neither am I. And they can't get it. I don't follow religion to make me right with, with God. I, I put my faith and trust in Christ, right? Because of what he did for me. It's not about what I do, it's about what he did. So anyway, but that's a pet peeve and we'll move on. But what is it talking about bearing fruit? Well, I shared this illustration uh, when I was in North Africa and I think it really helped them understand. When I lived in Tampa, where I was before, we had our house and in our backyard, we had this huge, huge grapefruit tree. And they were, they were, they were these big, big grapefruit. And, um, and so, and in fact, the people in North Africa, they didn't, never even heard of a grapefruit, didn't even know what it was. They knew what oranges were, but not grapefruit. And I said, well, they're kind of similar to oranges, they just don't taste as good, all right? All right, but I had this huge grapefruit tree and literally hundreds, I would say over 200 every year. I mean, this tree, bless its heart, it just looked like it was painful. If you've ever seen a grapefruit, ooh, you know. But it was, it was just, it was just, it was a mature tree and it just, in fact, I felt bad, you know, it was just, you know how they fall off the tree and rot, you know, so I tried to pick them and I tried to give them away, you know, and you know, I, you can't give those things away when you have that many. I'd take them to church, you know, anybody want a grapefruit, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, and when we moved into the house, okay, when we moved into the house, Somebody brought by a housewarming gift and it was an orange tree, okay, great. And so they went to the backyard and planted it far enough away and they planted this little orange tree. And first year, okay, first year, okay, uh, three, three oranges it produced and they were no bigger than walnuts. All right, y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen that, okay, it was kind of cool. And, uh, and so, Here's the question I have for you. A couple things, the reason I'm doing that, here's a couple things I want you to see. What does it mean him to who's been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit? So if you're in Christ, there's something about you that's different. And you'll know what I mean when I say this in a minute. All right, now, this big grapefruit tree, all right? What are the chances? What are the chances that an oak tree can produce grapefruit. Okay, zero. Now, although the question for you, here's another question. What, what do I have to do to the oak tree to get it to produce grapefruit? All right, 
I have to change the very nature. I have to change the DNA of the tree in order for it to start producing grapefruit. Okay. Now, if you're in Christ, the scripture says that you're a new creation. So he has made something new in you. So the fruit that you produce is what he is producing through you because it's who he's made you to be. To him who had been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit. Now, listen, if you are truly a believer today, you don't have to try to bear fruit. You will bear fruit because it's who you are. I want it to sink in. Because it's who he's made you to be. An orange tree produces oranges because that's what it is. A believer who is in Christ produces fruit because you're in him, because it's who you are in him. And if you weren't in him, you couldn't produce that fruit. Now you're starting to understand that this is more than just trying hard to act religious. This is about being in Christ. It's a totally different, it has been the gospel down through the ages and yet sometimes we've gotten so far away from it. It's not even distinguishable anymore. But the book of Romans is clear in what it is, right? So therefore, in order that you may bear fruit for God. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Now there is a difference between a brand new believer, the little orange tree, and a mature believer, the grapefruit tree. But if God truly is at work, if you're truly his, and you've been united in him, then I want you to understand his work in you, all right, will grow you from the little orange tree to the grapefruit tree. Not because you're trying hard, but because, because he's making a difference in your life and growing you in him. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you this now. This will come up a little later. But how does a person, I mean, this is interesting. As a believer, if you're a believer today, how does a believer, don't say anything out loud because you're going to be wrong, all right? How does, your, how does a believer overcome sin in their life? I mean, there's only about 100 books out on that one, right? I mean, how, does, how truly does a believer overcome sin? How do they, the things that get the best of them, right? Addictions, perhaps, things you struggle with. All of us have them, right? You're gonna see it in a minute. All of us have them. Sometimes we hide them better than others, but all of us have them. How does a believer overcome sin in their life? Now, I've got the answer for you. I know the answer, all right? You know, it's not, it's not trying harder. It's not focusing on it. That makes it worse. Let me give you an illustration, all right? A silly illustration, but it helps, all right? Okay, I'm not gonna eat that. I'm not gonna eat that. I am not. All right, you're real short to eating it. Because if you go into all that in your mind, you're just thinking about it more. And the more you think about it, the more it becomes this big, huge deal in your life when it's not. So what does the scripture teach? Right? You overcome sin in your life the same way you became a believer, by grace through faith. Right? 
Therefore, you can produce those things in your life as you learn to trust him. I found the only thing that keeps a believer from truly growing in his, in his faith is, is, is they, they stop trusting God. Because he's the one that's doing it in your life anyway. If you stop trusting him, you will short circuit growth in your life, of course. So how does, a, how does a believer overcome different things? It's not about trying harder. Because those who try harder, I understand you because I'm a try harder type person, I really am. But I've learned over the years that the harder I try, the tireder I get, and eventually you run out of gas. But I have found if I've learned to trust him, and it's basically saying this, Lord, I'm not gonna be able to do this long-term anyway. But God, I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I'm trusting you here to help me overcome whatever it is in my life that's getting the best of me. And he's promised to give you the strength that you need. You know, sometimes people say to me, you know, Jeff, why doesn't God just deliver me from this? Sometimes he does, but rarely. Now the deliverances get great press. Everybody like, and stirs a lot of emotions. But what my experience tells me is that God would rather give you the strength to overcome it than deliver you from it. Because if he gives you the strength to overcome it, then you become a testimony and a hope to others who have to overcome the same thing. Does that make sense? So therefore, God does deliver us. Don't, don't get me wrong. But most of the time he likes to give you the strength to overcome it then you'll give him the glory for it. It's an amazing thing. So, so we have this picture of bearing fruit for God and what happens in growth. Look at verse five. For while we were living in the flesh, flesh is the book, is the, is the term, it is. Sarx is the Greek word, it just means flesh, all right? Like the fleshy part of us. But it's used as a word and it, it represents the sinful nature that lives in all of us. So while we were living in the sinful nature, all right, our sinful passions, aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Okay, now Jeff, what does all that mean? All right, basically it means this. The sin that lives in us, all right, it's this picture, all right, is what does it mean that our sinful passions aroused by the law? Okay, well, here it is. What is it about us that when we're told that we can't do something that we long to do it? All right? Now, some of us are a bit worse than others, but it's the joke I tell you every time. You know, the medicine I had that time that said you can't have grapefruit. This is grapefruit day, by the way. You can't have grapefruit. I don't even like grapefruit. And yet, when I was told I couldn't have any, I longed for it. What, what was that? Some are a bit worse than others, but what is it? So again, aroused by the law, what does that mean? That means that the, the law, that when we understand God's commands, what is it that we long to do that which we can't? It's the sinful nature that lives in us. If we don't even know it's a command, then it's not near as big a temptation. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what he's saying there. But, but now, okay, verse, verse six, but now we're released from the law. Why? Because you died. And when you die, you're not accountable to the law anymore, to God's commands. You mean, Jeff, we don't have to worry about any of that anymore? I didn't say that totally but you're not accountable to it anymore. Why? Because Christ paid for it. That's what the book of Romans teaches, right? But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. And so well, I haven't died. Well, you, he died in your place. You're in him. 
If you can pick this up, this is gonna really help a lot of folks as believers. Today is the day for believers, all right? Because if you're not a believer, this is gonna sound a little strange. In fact, you're gonna think these people have split personalities. When you take a look at it in a minute, you'll see what I mean in a minute, right? So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Therefore, we serve God because of the spirit that lives within us. It's not that we're following a bunch of rules and regulations. Why? Because we're all terrible at that. Some of us are better than others, but we're mostly all terrible at that, okay? All right, number two is the purpose of God's commands. Why did he even give it to us? Now, we're just gonna go through this part pretty quick, all right? But it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Of course not. It says, by no means. By no means is an expression. We talked about it last week. When you see by no means, if you have an old King James Bible, it says, God forbid. Basically, in our common day way of saying it, it's, that's ridiculous, all right? That's, it's, it's, a, it's an expression more than it is translation. So by no means, or that's ridiculous. Yes, if it had not been God's law, uh, I would have not have known sin. Now listen, all of us are sinners, but only the ones who understand God's commands can ever see it. Unless you have a law or commands, then you never can see your sinfulness, right? It may not seem like it, but it's one of the greatest gifts that you can receive. It's a painful gift, but it's a great gift. Is the gift of being able to see yourself. Most people can see everybody else, but they have a hard time seeing themselves. But see, when you're able to see yourself, which is what God's commands do, they allow you to see yourself. It drives you to Christ. But if you never see it, you don't understand it. Which makes sense when you take a look at the world around us, all right? Yet if it had not been the law, I wouldn't even know what sin was. I would not even know what it is to covet unless the law says you don't covet. Covet's the tough one, right? Paul even said, Paul even made statements. He says, I could actually say that I have never committed adultery. But he said, I couldn't, ever, I couldn't say that I never wanted to. So the covet is the want to. That's a tough one. Paul said that one came up and it, it slew me, right? Right? And then in verse eight, he does something really strange. And I talked to you a little bit about this last week. You know, as a believer, I, I, you know, I, I used to, you, you make a distinguisher. If you truly are a believer, you make a distinguisher between who you used to be and who you are now, if you're his. If you've been walking in him, if you truly are his, there is a difference between the way you used to be and the way you are now, Okay unless you're just brand new in your faith and you're just getting starting and you've got the, you got the walnut size, uh, uh, you know, oranges, right? All right. But you, you look back at that, that's, and, and, the, and the scripture calls that the old person. We talked about it last week. And it says, and it talks about, but it goes on here and it almost personifies, it's a little strange, but it almost personifies a sin. Look what it says there, but sin seizing an opportunity how does sin seize an opportunity? That is the sin, that is the old you, seizes an opportunity through the commandments produced in me in all kinds of covetousness. In fact, I, it just became, I just became one big bundle of desires and wants and, and, and what it took around me, right? It says, for apart from the law, uh, you know, sin lies dead. The better word for dead there is dormant. 
Therefore, until you understand God's commands, until you understand you're a sinner, you will never see this. You will always see that everybody else is a lot worse than you. That's why you hear people say, well, I'm not near as bad as most. Because you can't see it. And until you come into contact with who God is, his word, right? Then you'll never see yourself clearly. That's why I say it's a gift. It's a huge gift. It's a painful gift, but it's an incredible gift, right? All right. Therefore, it sees the opportunity producing me all kinds of covenants for apart from the sin, for apart from the law, sin's dead. I once was alive apart from the law, at least I thought I was. But when the commandment came, sin came alive. In other words, my recognition of it, and I died. And the very commandment that promised life to me wound up bringing death. For sin, here we go again, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, it killed me, right? So the law, God's law is holy. The command is holy and righteous and good. So he asked another question. Did that which is good then bring death to me? No, 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 it was the sin. It's what lives in us, producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown as sin and through the commandment might be become, uh, uh, obviously become sinful beyond measure. In other words, God's commands just show us who we are. It's just fa all fancy ways of saying it. Now, number three, and this is where we'll close, is the two natures that live in us. Now, this is huge. Paul is gut level honest here. You know, sometimes we pedestalize people uh, sometimes we think, you know, that people are put on a pedestal and, you know, and we kind of look up to them, whatever, and I understand that, and that's not all bad. But Paul, Paul gets gut-level honest here with this, and he talks about the two natures that live in those who are truly believers. And yes, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but it hasn't totally died yet. It one day will die, but it hasn't totally died. Listen to what he says. These are Paul's word. In my estimation, perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived, listen to what he tells you and I. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, that is sinful nature, sold under sin. So he's talking about two different entities even, right? God's law, the spiritual, and then the flesh, I'm the flesh, sold under sin. He goes on to say this. He said in verse 15, I just don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do. But I do the very thing I hate. Anybody, anybody relate? What is it about that? This is Paul. This is, this is a guy that's admitting the struggle that still lives inside of him. And guys, it lives inside of all of us. And to hide it only gives more power to it. Oh, I don't struggle with that. Ah! Right? I mean, even sometimes, think about this. Even sometimes, you're sitting in church, and you're a believer. And these thoughts come into your mind. And you say to yourself, oh my gosh. I'm in church. How does that come into mind? I must be, I must be really bad off. Well, that's what Paul's telling you. Why? Because there's a battle going on there. The battle is proof you're his. You know, when I was a newer believer, and those of you that became believers as you, were, as you became older, I remember this. You know, when a new believer, when they first get started, you know, there's like a few weeks of what I call euphoria. 
If you've ever been, you know, if, if, again, if you were a little older, like I was 21, when I became a believer, there was such euphoria. I was so excited to be his. He changed my life. And I thought, I'm never going to have any more problems, right? And well, that was the biggest joke, but that's the way you feel at the time. That's why I've learned at times not to trust feelings because they can really fool you, right? I'll never, you know, and whatever. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, after the euphoria wears off, you begin to see that the struggles come back and the same problems come back and the same thoughts come back. And then you're saying, oh no, what happened? Gosh, maybe I'm not really a believer. No, 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 it just shows you you are. The fact that there's a battle shows you that there are, that you are. The battle that rages inside, all right? Let's see what else what he says. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. So he begins to think of himself, all right, as having an enemy. And it's this other nature. See what he says? That's not who I am anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I am not that person anymore. And yet it still dwells in me. Look. It's no longer I, but it's the sin that dwells in It's, But that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I want to be. Yes, I'm still battling with it, but it's not who I want to be. This'll, if you're a believer here today, this will really help you. Because sometimes I have found that those who are the maturest believers have a tendency to really beat themselves up. Because the stronger you grow in your faith, the more you see how much you lack right? This is Paul talking here. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is why I'll say sometimes, God, Lord, you know, if anything good's happened here today, it's because he's done it. Because I know who I am without him, right? This is Paul talking. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. That is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. What is the ability? It goes back to the DNA question, right? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. You know? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. In other words, I want to identify myself as the person he's making me to be, not the old person over there. And the more distance you get between the two, the better off you'll be. But, but you know, here, you know what heaven is all about? It's that final day when that old nature finally dies. How cool will that be when I don't have to have and deal with all those things anymore, Right? There is no battle, right? Not that I, now that if, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is right there with me. I truly do delight, all right, in God's word, his law, in my inner being, that is this person. But listen to this. Paul says, but I see in my members another law, waging war. So there's a battle. There's a battle going on. Guys, 
And that battle's in all of us, if you're a believer. If there is no battle, you're not his, or you're not doing anything to be a threat, right? But if you're his, there's gonna be the battle. The battle's there. And I've watched people fool themselves through the years, you know, thinking that they're believers, but if there is no battle, you're, you're, you're probably not his, right? Look at this, this is, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So the question is, can a believer live in sin? Absolutely. Scriptures teach it obviously clearly here. But as, you, as you're his, you know, Paul said, those who live that way do it willingly. Because everything you need to overcome it lives within you. It's an amazing thing to think about, right? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. Listen to verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Okay, now this is a guy who I believe to be probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. The common translation of a wretched man that I am is this, am I sick or what? Right, that's how you translate that. Am I sick or what? You see, anytime guys as believers, you and I parade around like we have all the answers and that we don't have any struggles, we are doing a disservice to those around us. That's why I try to tell you, don't put your trust in me. I will. This same thing lives in me, right? I'm going to disappoint, right? right? I'm gonna roll through a stop sign and don't send me a letter if I do. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, I thought you were a pastor. Well, what does that have to do with anything? You know, I don't think some people feel some sort of a, they feel better about themselves if I fail. I don't know what that's all about. Why? Because we all serve the same Christ in the same struggle and the same battle that wages in here. If you're a believer, it's the same battle that wages in here. Don't get your eyes on other people, get your eyes on him and you'll be who he's called you to be. It is a powerful statement. Paul is even telling them, listen, am I sick or what? what will, who is gonna deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, but thanks be to God, Paul says. This is how we'll close, right? Because this is how he closes. Thanks, every time in the Romans when he says thanks be to God, always listen up close to what he's about to say. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, exclamation point, because I'm in him, I've been delivered from that. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. In other words, the battle rages, right? And the voice that I feed is gonna win the fight. So as a believer, if you continue to be around the same things, the same people, the same places, you will just further immerse yourself and be captive to this old life that he's set you free from. It's some of the things you choose to do, the places you choose to be, it's an incredible thing, right? Romans chapter eight, verse one. This is, where, this is where I'm done. But I have to let you see this. As I've told you before, Romans is, it would be the chapter on the desert island, I would ask. I mean, Romans would be the book. 
Chapter eight would be the chapter. Somebody says, you can only have one chapter to be chapter eight. And we'll give you the first verse. Therefore, you see the word therefore? That's the reason I'm doing this is because I, I wanted to include it in today. Therefore, since everything you've just heard, all right, you don't have to beat yourself up. He goes on to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Look at this. Why do you think he chose the word now? I looked up the word now in the dictionary. And it means now. (laughs) Not something that's going to happen way in the future, but it means right now. Even through all of the battles with the old person, even all of the stuff you have to deal with and the stuff that goes through your mind and the voices in your head and all of the stuff that condemn, all of the stuff that tell you you're no good, all, if you're a believer, remember that because you're in him, you will never face condemnation. Why? Because you're in Christ. And that's good news, right? That's good news. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. All right, Jesus, from the law of sin and death. So you are different. All right. All right. I'll, close, I'll close everything and, and close it up. I just want you to see, because this is, again, one of the greatest chapters to help us understand this, this thing that we struggle with. This is why it's so important to get connected, to stay connected, because it helps so much in this battle. Listen to me. If you live, this is what scares me about this culture. I wanted to say this at the other crowds, but I'd forgotten, and I want to say it here. What scares me about this culture, the culture in which you guys live, is that so many times we live it in isolation, right? What does it mean that we live it in isolation? Well, most of the time we talk by text and we, and, we, and we have this little world, you know, that we're alone. And I'm telling you that the people, believers, they're the most vulnerable, right? To the voices in your head are the ones who live isolated because those voices, those, and I'm not talking about audible voices. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, if you hear audible voices, I don't wanna hear about it, all right? But you know what I'm talking about. It's that condemnation voice, it's that whatever. You are the most vulnerable when you're alone. That is why he gave us a church. That's why he gave us people to, to connect with his family. And that's why we need each other. But this culture can isolate us. So as a believer, remember who we are in him and the war that goes in us. If you're not a believer here today, we always give you that opportunity. If you wanna know what it means to be his, if you've received that gift, that painful gift of being able to see who you really are, understanding who Christ is and what he came to do, then obviously there'll be some people up here who'd love to talk to you afterwards. All right, all right, God bless.